1: Geeks, and welcome to the second installment of our special series of interviews from behind the Wizard Curtain as we talk to actual staff members who worked at the most influential comics magazine in print, and as we'll explore today, online. I'm Adam.
2: And I'm Michael.
1: And joining us today is a man who dared to traverse cyberspace on behalf of Wizard, a webmaster who was not some malevolent multiverse incarnation of Peter Parker, rather he was a man with a mission. Welcome to the show, Rick Marshall hey how's it going guys it is great to chat with you it's our absolute pleasure to have you joining us here and you certainly have a perspective that is i think unique to most who are involved with the magazine certainly from a technical side and i think that took you to other avenues as well so as we get started here obviously all of us who were reading the magazine we were big comics fans it meant a lot to us but were comics a part of your life prior to working at wizard or was this just a job for you oh no this was sort of a dream gig I came out of doing straight news journalism, you know,
0: politics, government, local news, that sort of thing. And when I saw an advertisement for a position at Wizard, I jumped at it because I, I grew up reading comics. Um, I learned to read with issues of Spider-Man. I remember my I still have my first comic that I ever purchased. And when I eventually uh, made the move down from up here in Capital Region of New York now down to where Wizard's offices were, I part of the process involved moving, I think, about a dozen long boxes as well as, you know, many boxes of, you know, hardcover covers and paperbacks and that sort of thing so over time it pared down but yes i'm a huge comics fan yeah rom space knight is, is is my boy that's my favorite that's the one i grew up with too i'm i'm that rom space knight fan but yeah i love comics and i'm still a very avid reader although you know my interests have spread out beyond superheroes now but for the most part i'm still a superhero fan at heart wow rom <laughs> I know. I'm like that one guy who, like, when they announced that Rom was coming back to comics at IDW, I was that one guy, like, you know, and I'd just me like, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is my great shame because I know there is that that cult of ROM out there. And when I was probably like 11 or 12, went to a garage sale and this lady was obviously selling her son's comic book collection. And so I went through and I'm picking stuff out. And the one that stood out to me outside of like Spider-Man and Wolverine, you know, that team up book, was the ROM Space Knight number one. And I ah, don't know yes. what I did with it. <laughs> I'm like, did I well, trade it? Did I sell it? Like, I don't know. Well,
0: Rom has always been a favorite of mine, but it's funny because over the years, I've had the opportunity and the good fortune to interview a lot of comics creators, including uh, over the years, Joe Quesada, a bunch of times. And it got to the point where I think maybe the third or fourth time I was interviewing him, I would end up asking about Rom Space Knight at some point, And it would suddenly click in his mind, be like, oh, you're that guy. <laughs> that guy keeps asking me about like, you know, Marvel, whether they own, you know, Rom Space Knight still, what the situation is that you're that guy who keeps asking me about ROM. Man, you guys are you guys are like a cult.
1: <laughs> so let let's hear a little bit of that story then. So you said you saw an ad. Where was this ad posted and what was the process of getting hired at Wizard like for you? So I saw the ad and I believe it was,
0: you know, on either Craigslist or Media Bistro or whatever one used back in the day in that sort of, you know, early 2000s era to get journalism gigs. And it was an ad for an associate editor position. And I, you know, at that point had been working as a sort of editor and the senior staff writer at a paper up here in the, the capital region, sort of an equivalent to like the Village Voice, like an alt weekly. And I had done a political reporting and that sort of thing. And I saw this opportunity to get down there to Wizard and I had grown up reading Wizard. Wizard was as exciting to me as it is to a great many people who grew up with it. So I went down and made that sort of trip down to that point. It was in a Congress, New York, and, and interviewed for the associate editor job. And it was interesting because I talked about the associate editor job with one of the managers there who was doing the interview. And over time, it came out that my degrees and my background at college was in computer science as well as journalism and that type of thing. And so I think they sort of latched on to the fact that I had this background in computer science and, and knew how to, you know, write in HTML and do all the sort of things that were basic internet uh, languages then and create a website, all that stuff. Back then it was gold to have that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so they sort of latched on to that. They're like, well, you know, we think we may have the associate editor position filled, but we're looking to launch this new website for Wizard, new editorial website. Would you be interested in sort of taking on that position and helping us launch a new wizard website you know we had some problems with our old one and so we really want to go all in and we see ourselves heading towards online would you be willing to sort of take on the position of helping us transition to online from print and having a, an online presence to sort of you know compete with the newsramas and comic you know comic book resources and things like that out there and it just snowballed from there
1: just to catch everybody up as far as Wizard in the online space, all right. I, I've been doing a little research here because I have to admit, I was definitely the print guy like all the way through. Like I, I didn't really have a desire to go online and check out what they were posting there. I was like, I want the magazine, that's what I love. But Wizard launched Wizardworld.com in nineteen ninety nine and began printing that URL on their magazine covers, starting with issue eighty-nine in January of nineteen ninety nine, and then Then down the line that we had wizarduniverse.com that now, according to my research on the archive.org Wayback Machine website, it launched in 2003 and was basically like an empty shell by January 2011. Like it just kind of ceased to exist by April of that year and then just kind of was gone. And so was Wizard. But that's what we're hoping you can start to fill in those spaces for us here from your time, because what was the exact year and time that you were there? So I uh, joined up with Wizard back in April 2006. So at that
0: point, basically they had wizardworld.com prior, that sort of fizzled. They never really did anything with it. it. It got big. It was mostly forums. That was the big part of wizardworld.com was, a, was the forums. And that sort of fizzled out, though, as an editorial presence. They didn't quite know what to do with it. And as this conversation progresses, Wizard did have a lot of issues with trying to figure out what they wanted to be online. Did they want to be a you know selling product site? Did they want to be a site for their conventions? Or did they want to be an editorial site? And there was a lot of push and pull there. So Wizard World kind of fizzled out. And then Wizard Universe. Dot com was what I was brought in to work on and turn into an editorial site. It started out as basically something for products and convention stuff, and they wanted to sort of fully go all in on making it editorial. And that's where I came in.
1: Yeah, it's actually really interesting. If you go back and look at the scans, I forget what they call them on, our, on the archive.org site, but where you can actually go through the web pages, there, it's pretty fascinating because, yeah, it's it's a whole lot of stuff for sale and, and you're just like, oh, you want to buy these action figures? You want to buy this over here? And then you might have like, oh, and, uh, you know, top 10 comics this week. <laughs> There's some comics content sprinkled within, but it really did seem like they were doing a lot of retail through the site, which was interesting. So what would you say were your official responsibilities? What did they they say to you, you know, Rick, go.
0: <laughs> That's pretty much the extent of it, which was uh, sort of frustrating um, at times. While it was this great opportunity to do this amazing thing, I was way over my head when I first got involved because managing something like this to this extent, let's, it, it wasn't exactly as resourced as I thought it would be. Um, it started out with basically me and one intern, Brian Warmoth, working out of what used to be a closet next to InQuest Gamer Magazine, and We literally just sat there basically copying and pasting text from some of the print editions over and bringing them into the online website. And the website, I don't know how web savvy you guys are, but it was basically created using a a database.
2: I forgot. They they probably weren't even thinking about using like WordPress or any like those kind of engines to help you build it. Yeah. So you're just basically building a database theoretically in access and then linking that with HTML code and probably some sort of like text wrangler or something like that and just throwing it up on the web and and trying to link all the dots. That's exactly what it was, except
0: it wasn't even access because access would have been a step up. We were using what they used to create some of the product sites that uh, that somebody in-house had created as a sort of sample of what they could do to sell products. And they created this database and it was never intended to be a the permanent database for the product selling site for the store or b a editorial site. And so, yes, my responsibilities coming in were basically, oh, just create a website and figure out a way to, you know, get all the content that we want. You know, that's in the that's on the magazine, but not all of it. because we want them to get the magazine, but figure out a way for us to compete with Newsarama and comic book resources. That was literally like my marching orders were figure out a way for us to be as good as them.
1: So you're two man staff at this point. Did you have the cooperation of the current print staff? Were they interested at all or willing? So how did that work? So, you know, some were extremely willing. And I think
0: some were very smart to see that, the you know, the writing on the wall there, that like this is where things are headed. But there were definitely some of like the longtime print wizard magazine folks were very sort of hesitant to get too involved with the website because as they saw it, the website was vulturing content that they created for the magazine that if we put things online then people won't read the magazine and then i won't have a job because wizard was a very cutthroat sort of place people were in and out of there really really quickly it was kind of a a meat grinder for young geeky aspiring writers and who are into comics so there was a lot of like i don't want to get too involved because i don't want to you know lose my job
2: on the magazine side it's also one of those things where like when you're an old school magazine writer they look at the internet especially back then as if it's like this amateur hour, college kids writing blogs and, and not something that was a serious news access point as opposed to like the New York Times or something like was a real editorial kind of a thing. So that I can see you get a lot of pushback from the guys that have been there from like early 90s and so on. Yeah, it was difficult
0: at times because that was an element of it that I didn't quite anticipate. I, I sort of started the gig expecting it to be this sort of all in collaborative approach to figuring out a way to getting you know, this stuff online to figure out a Way to work together and creating some sort of synergy between all of the magazines and the website and doing all of that. But what I kind of ended up with was myself and Brian Warmouth working out of a closet. And then I didn't even have a budget. So um, outside of having uh, Brian help me with stuff like this, a lot of the time I ended up talking to writers who wanted to get their start and being upfront with them about the fact that I don't even have much of a budget here. But tell you what, I can send you a whole bunch of things that you can sell for money online. Like I can send you a bunch of these wizard collector edition things that you can like do what you will with. You know, don't tell me what you're doing with them but these are worth about this much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now that is fascinating. Yeah, I love that idea, that little bartering for content.
0: Well, you know, I came from um, like writing about this stuff and it, it really irked me that the attitude a lot of the time was that, you know, do what you can to give them exposure. Like I know that's become like a very like worn sort of like theme when it comes to journalism and people starting out, but I've always been super opposed to the idea of not paying people or rewarding them for their work. Like these are writers who want to get into this. Got to be rewarded. Somehow, so it started as like a little secret mission between Brian and I, and we would go in and to the Wizard Warehouse, which was right next to the editorial office, and we would request a bunch of Toy Fair guide to this, like the Toy Fair, Twisted Toy Fair Theater, you know, collections or some other collections that were there, and we would just package up a whole bunch of stuff every month to send to the people who are contributing to the website.
1: (laughs) I love that plan. Yeah, I imagine you had some sort of vision, whether or not it came to be. So, what what did you think it was going to be ultimately? What did you find that was Going to be the most valuable to the site.
0: Well, I really kind of just wanted it to be this window into comics culture for the online folks, for people who might not be so invested already that they're going to hand over the money for the magazine. I kind of wanted this to be the introduction to comics culture that would then either A, have them buying the magazine. Like, this is going to get them, this is going to pull them in. This is because I believed that Wizard had a great perspective on comics culture. The writers there at Wizard were some of the most, and this isn't just Wizard, this is Toy Fair, Inquest, you know, Anime Insider. They were some of the most talented, brilliant, creative writers I've ever worked with. And I wanted it felt somewhat like we were not doing them justice sometimes by having the writing only in the magazines because there's a lot of people out there who would have loved to have known about what these people were writing but we're never going to because I'm not gonna buy a comics magazine or I'm not gonna buy an anime magazine but like there's stuff in there that would appeal to everyone even if you're not totally all in on it
1: and what would you say ultimately became the most popular features then once it kind of started getting up and running and gaining a little bit of steam or did it
0: uh it did it, it website... We hit a massive point. Like we had massive traffic on the site at one point where we were actually competing very well with you know the CBRs and the news dramas and things like that. And that was that was probably the, the peak of it. And some of the biggest features were probably Thursday morning quarterback was, was a big one. Twisted Toy Fair Theater was always big. You know it was really pretty much anything from Toy Fair did really, really well. And and that kind of I think sometimes when I sent out my reports that were requested which articles are doing well and which ones aren't and that sort of thing and which, what the traffic you know is for this week and which articles did the best? I think that sort of sometimes rubbed some of the Wizard folks the wrong way too. Is that Toy Fair was almost universally the biggest sort of content source for the website. Stuff that we pulled from Toy Fair magazine, even we just an excerpt and you know threw people to the magazine for the rest of it. That stuff did phenomenally well on the on the website. And also, I'm trying to think some of the other stuff that did really well. Our web comics coverage did really well, and that was something that Brian and I totally brought to it that Wizard had never really covered before was covering the web comic scene, and that did really really well
1: as well. Do you remember some of the bigger names at webcomics during that time? Because I remember that being a bubble that eventually burst, but it was kind of a huge deal for a while there.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Diesel Sweeties, Richard Stevens, we became pretty close talking with him for a little while about stuff, and thankfully there was a few people who really put me in touch with the right people for webcomics, because I, I loved webcomics myself, but, you know, it was, it was hard enough to crack to get in there and start doing some of these interviews and things like that. And uh, Gary Terrell over at Fleen.com, he had been covering webcomics hardcore for a long time now. And he knew everyone. And he provided me a lot of the introductions into the webcomic scene that allowed us to do a lot of great interviews with Diesel Sweeties creators, Anders and Maria. We did that one. Pretty much every webcomic that was big at the time, between Brian and I both, we were really tracking a lot of them. And we got interviews with pretty much everybody. Every week, we pretty much did a webcomics interview for almost the whole whole time we were there. And those were a really big draw. I, I was really pleased with how they turned out. And it was nice to be that person who gave webcomics a place on the Wizard site right among other print comics because I feel like web comics never really got a fair shake. There was a big division between print comics readers and web comics readers and I don't think that division needed to be there. I like to think Brian and I helped break down that wall between the two.
1: Yeah, it felt like as we're going through these early issues of Wizard on the show, like in the Palmer's picks section, Tom Palmer was covering all these indie and underground comics and it felt like, yeah, that the web comics were that new generation's version of underground comics. So that's great. That you were able to give them a, a place to shine and get a little bit of attention. So here's another question I would have just regarding, you know, the content that you were putting on there, were you ever getting once it was becoming uh, something of a you know a, a place to be online, were you getting any pushback from, you know, again, the people that were mainly on the publisher side saying, you know, we're getting more traffic to the site than we are selling magazines, as that was dwindling? I don't think that I got a whole lot of pushback from the perspective of, oh, this is hurting sales. Of the
0: magazine, I definitely got some pushback that, hey, the best ideas should be in the magazine, not. The website. And that that was, I think, where there was some, some pushback. For instance, Brian and I started doing this series, Brian Bendis Presents. And we basically talked with Brian Bendis about setting up this interview series where we would connect him with other comic creators. And basically, we would sit in on a phone conversation between the two of them, where Bendis would sit there and just interview them. And these conversations would go for like an hour, hour and a half. Sometimes it was crazy. But we would just sit there on the phone with them and listen to them talk. And then the whole thing would be transcribed. And 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 we would run this massive, sometimes it was like three, four thousand word interviews on the website. And wow. they were really good. Like we had one where you talked with Stan Lee that was was amazing. And I, I still sort of treasure that I got to be the person sitting on the phone for that one. But that sort of thing was great and was also another one, the big draws on the website. But there was definitely some pushback after we started doing these that, hey, those are too high profile to put on the website first. We should take some of that and put that into the magazine and then not run it on the website for a while later, which often caused problems because in the, in the magazine world, you're working on a 30 to 45 day lead time when you're going to print. So stalling stuff sometimes made these things not as fresh when they would went up. And to his credit, Brian Bendis was the first one to realize that and say, hey, I really kind of want these to go up as soon as possible because that's what we're, we're talking about, something going on that's very timely, and I want these on the website as soon as we do them. So he sort of helped out in that because I suspect without him weighing in on it, there would have been some weirdness with those interviews not going up until way late, and then they would have read very weird because we'd be talking about
2: things that came out like 30 days earlier. It's kind of funny. So like one of the things that I've been thinking about is, you know, how do you compete with things like, you know, Newsarama at the time? And looking at it through like a 2020 lens, it would have been great if somebody would have been like, we should sell a subscription to the website where like you can get basic content free. But if you want to get more detailed stuff, like maybe all the archives of all the past issues of Wizard and just have scans like online, that people can go back and look at old stuff get ideas and then get these interviews as like a paid subscription content or if you had a paid subscription to the actual physical magazine it also gave you access to do it on the web and look at as well that wasn't even a thought back then but it would have been a great way to get a niche in in the industry
0: well it's interesting you brought that up because one of the things that did come up was giving people who have a wizard magazine subscription some sort of extra access or something like some sort of bonus on the website (laughs) side of wizard but it couldn't be figured out with the current database that they had with the technology they were working with. They just could not figure out a way to do it. And I have to admit at that point when they started bringing that up, I was did one of those Homer Simpsons back into the bush. I'm like, you know, if you guys want to do that, you guys got to figure that out. I'm i can't
2: really be involved in that <laughs> you like an e-commerce guy and like you know, yeah like, uh, they were like
0: you're the computer guy can you figure this out
2: <laughs> yes we need to buy about a fifty thousand dollar server and <laughs> yeah sure yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like that was not my background
0: in computers so uh yeah i was i was kind of backed off on that and if you guys want to figure that out you just tell me what to do but yeah that's where that got left but that was brought up as something they would like to do
1: so i'm curious here you, know, you brought up earlier these ideas that the forums were the most popular place What was going on in the forums during your run? Like, were you a moderator? Were there people that rose to the top? Is there anybody that was like a forum contributor and now they write comics or anything that you're aware of? Absolutely. The Wizard Universe message board,
0: I was also a moderator on that because they said, hey, you're the computer guy. You should also be tracking our forums (laughs) so you can imagine how well that worked out but to be honest there were amazing people on there that i am still friends with like there are people that i met moderating those forums and being involved with the forums that i am still friends with i've met them in person um at conventions and are still facebook friends and all that sort of thing the wizard magazine folks and the print magazine folks they were actually a lot more active on the forums so I didn't need to do as much there. They really liked interacting with people on the forums. And they ended up getting some writers who would end up writing for both the magazine and I brought in some folks who wrote for the online site that way, then those people have gone on to become very prominent writers around here now and, and throughout the comic scene. but there was definitely a few people who came up through the Wizard Universe forums, then became either you know interns or writers, you know entry- level writers at Wizard or on the site, and then are now writing for movie, TV and comics. And there's a bunch of people who came up through those areas. And that's where I got a bunch of the writers for the website itself. We had regular weekly columns written by people who I met on the forums and then would end up paying via the wizard swag and merch (laughs) methods.
1: (laughs) So this is my follow-up question to that then. So, cause what I remember the first time I acknowledged, okay, wizard has an online presence. And honestly, it was one of the first times that the internet mattered to me was reading the magic word section and seeing that, Oh, Oh, now it's people with email addresses and that's where they're getting the letters and the inquiries and all those things so were you one of the people just sending over saying hey this is a great comment this is a great idea or was it the print side that they just kind of had their own connection to it
0: oh that was the print side and the print guys had a email address that people would send their questions concern comments to and then they would pick what to respond to and such and then there was a freelancer that would usually write all the responses the freelancers who pretty much did most of the stuff for wizard most of the the articles and things like that. And then there were a few staff folks on board. There was a lot more editors than there were writers for a lot of the time while I was there.
1: What would you say is the distinction between an editor and a writer, that what is the editor doing if they're not writing?
0: Uh, A lot of the time the editor is just going through with the writing submission. Whatever was submitted, uh they're going through and making sure tightening it up. And that's honestly working at Wizard was one of the places that got me trained as an editor because prior to that I had only been an editor now and then, but I really learned how to become an editor there. And I ended up, I think by the time I left wizard, I was the editor of the website and had, I think three staff writers as well as two editors underneath me, as well as like a team of like two or three digital producers. And I I still kind of think about it, but I can't believe I didn't screw that up worse. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like I did not know what I was doing getting into that. But over time I worked, I was just fortunate to work with some really amazing writers there who were understanding of me being new to this. And we're just, we were honest with each other. Like, Hey, Hey, we're in a really tough situation right now. We don't have a whole lot of resources. We don't have a whole lot of people who have our back to do this. But let's keep doing this website, and you know, the next we'll be able to use this to to show off what we can do.
2: I have a question for you. So, if wizard brass, let's say, was a little bit apprehensive to a website, what did they say when they're like, "Oh, now there's this thing called YouTube. What do do we do with this type of a technology here?"
0: (laughs) (laughs) YouTube, for the most part wasn't a huge thing because comics weren't really using youtube i think comics couldn't figure out what to do with youtube so at that at that point while i was there they weren't really i remember when a trailer came out for a comic on youtube while i was there and we all kind of looked at it like what do we do with this Like, I think Marvel put out a trailer for one of its, you know, um, I think it was the adaptations of uh, The Dark Tower that they did. And oh, they put yeah. out, like, a video trailer for it, the cinematic trailer for that was it comic. Like, was
2: it like, a, like a motion comic trailer of some sort? Like Yeah. Yeah, kind of like that. I remember that.
0: And we were all kind of like, what do we do with this? I, you know, we write a story about it, but this is strange. Like, we're doing trailers for these now. We would do movie trailers and things like that, but this was a new one for us. And that's why I don't think we had to do as much with it because we... Didn't get a whole lot of that in. But when we did get stuff in, there was that weird thing that I'm sure it sounds like you have that technical background to understand this, where they're like, hey, here's this YouTube video. Well, we don't want to give YouTube the clicks on it. Let's figure out a way to translate this video into a way that we can put it on our site and put advertising on it and do all of that stuff. And then it just opened up a whole can of worms where things got really complicated sometimes with some of these videos. And that was, again, I just tried my best to back
2: off and be like, you guys fight it out and figure it out. I'm just going to hand this over to the digital team to figure out. I mean, because back then you would have to use like a you know a pl- an extension through like QuickTime or or Real Media or something like that. And oh my goodness, that's got to be. Oof.
0: Yeah, a lot of the producers there were still sort of figuring it out, too. And, and to their credit, they worked their butts off to figure it out. There are a lot of guys who, you know, had been with the magazine on the print side for almost their entire career and suddenly were being asked to figure out how to convert video and do all of that. You know, so and, and to their credit, they, they figured out the best way to do it they could. But nowadays, looking back on it, like I, I shudder because it was just so time intensive to do anything with the way that website was set up. And that's the way the website was set up the whole time I was there. It was under this database where you had to copy and paste everything. I could only imagine.
1: So what would you say, Rick, for you, what was the, like, the biggest drama that you experienced, whether it was from the top brass that Michael talked about, coworkers, readers, comics publishers, or just like a major technical issue, like the site is down. What did you do, Rick? You know, like, what kind of stuff came up? There was always a lot of drama. When some of the folks, especially from the store
0: side, got involved and the product side got involved because they really, I don't think, ever really saw the website as being an editorial thing. And they really wanted to make sure that the focus of the website was on selling stuff from the store. and. That was always a back and forth there, and I didn't have a great buffer. Usually in these situations, you want your editorial team to have sort of a buffer between the marketing and and store and, and that sort of thing, but I didn't. And a lot of time, I was brought in to sort of handle things directly with them, and Having the amount of experience that I did or or lack thereof, it was a really rough situation sometimes to try to explain to them why this isn't going to work from an editorial perspective or would look really bad to do this or do that. Like I remember when we started covering webcomics and the webcomic coverage was getting a whole lot of traffic. I had a conversation with some of the higher ups at Wizard at one point where they were asking me if I could figure out a way to barter with webcomic creators to give them coverage on the website if they include a shout out to wizard in an upcoming (laughs) webcomic
1: product placement and i was like it it doesn't work that way you know (laughs) now what other type of stuff were they trying to push like are they trying to sell like the exclusive action figures that you're offering in toy fair like special edition wizard books like what what was the product that they felt they were being able to to market through the website it was all of those exclusives that they had, a lot of the exclusive and those wizard, sort of wizard edition of this,
0: because wizard was big, if you, I'm sure you guys are encountering this, wizard was big on having wizard exclusive version of this comic or wizard exclusive version of, of this toy. I remember hero clicks were huge at that point. And they'd have wizard exclusive versions of everything and CGC versions of wizard magazine. Those how to draw books, I remember those were one of the big things they kept pushing or the collections of Twisted Toy Theater or the collections of the Todd McFarlane or, you know, uh, I don't know if they did a Rob Liefeld one, but like a, the Todd McFarlane thing where they did the retrospective on that and all the special issues that they did. Those are huge products that they were just trying to push, 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 push. And did they sell? Like, did it work? I guess. I mean, I didn't, <laughs> never saw those numbers, whether or not they were selling. I was just told that this is something that we're, we're trying to sell as well as subscriptions, as well as, you know, convention attendance and things like that. These are what we're trying to sell. And sometimes that was at odds with having an editorial site it sounds
2: to me like they're trying to unload a warehouse full of stuff that they had <laughs> sitting around from the 90s. Now, it, it also gives me the impression that the more and more they're trying to push stuff on the website to sell, even though you might not have been privy to the numbers, it sounds like they knew, hey, our numbers are dropping. We need to start unloading some stuff so we can cover the overhead for our staff and, and so on. So let's sell all these great exclusive things that people might want as a way to you know keep the lights on, so to speak.
0: Yeah, you know, I th- that may have been part of it i just i feel like since Wizard started out as a store and then where they just started doing a magazine you know out of that store i feel like they never really left the, the point of view that we're a store first we're something for collectors first and then a comics journalism or comics editorial thing second like a distant second or third you know on the list maybe a convention second and then comics and editorial stuff third and that's where i feel like it always kind of felt like, and they never quite knew what to do with the online side. Those of us who worked on the website, we sort of counted our triumphs, you know, like, woo, we did all this as being things that we did despite the surrounding environment rather than because of it. And and, uh, we feel like we all sort of went through boot camp together, like a lot of us who worked on that website for a long amount of time, because it was this massive high pressure dealing with all this crazy drama and controversy and all these other things while also trying to just get out as much cool editorial content as we could without ruffling feathers internally or externally
1: and what would you say that was the the counterpoint for you then dealing with all of that what was like was there a prestige that came with it was there a perk that mattered to you was it getting to interact with these comics professionals i mean listening in on stan lee and brian michael vendis or whoever else like what was it for you that kept you motivated and excited
0: well you know working at Wizard is sort of, was sort of special. Like, it was sort of special. I mean, what other place are you going to walk into, you know, the main lobby? And there's just all these massive Alex Ross Justice Society prints on the wall. And there's a, you know, foosball machine or an air hockey table that, granted, I never had time to play, but it seemed cool that it was there. (laughs) And every, like, ledge had all of these collectibles sitting on it. And, you know, I got every single comic that would come out every week, we would get like several stacks of comics Every week, the magazine department would get one or two stacks of them, that basically was every comic that came out. And online got its own stack, which was nice because it was only Brian and I for a long time. <laughs> uh, so, so we would have this massive stack of comics to sort through. And confession, I ended up taking a lot of comics home, so my my collection didn't get smaller after working at Wizard, that's for sure. And you know, and it, like I said, be having access to some of those creators that you've always sort of been impressed by and really enjoy talking to was its own sort of great thing too and you start to also learn how to i like the experience of learning how to work with these big companies and big media companies and things like that there's a lot of learning experiences there that i never really discounted but there's a lot of tough lessons over time
2: sometimes you gotta like Crawl before you can walk, so to speak, or you gotta suck it up for the potential of the exposure and where it could lead you to, and that's kind of leads to my next question: Did having this job at Wizard springboard you into better opportunities and, and different things over time?
0: Absolutely. Um, when I parted ways with Wizard, and I, you can look this up online and find this out yourself, it was it was not the most pleasant and positive of um, separations. <laughs> We had some issues. I, I did a, a uh, interview with Tom Spurgeon of The Comics Reporter after I left, and it was one of the first big interviews with an ex-Wizard employee, because a lot of the time they make you sign these non-disclosure agreements uh, when you leave if you want to get any severance pay that basically say you can't talk about your time at Wizard or do anything, wow. yeah, that sort of thing. I declined mine because I thought it was sort of insulting, and I'm just not going to sign this. I'm going to feel free to talk about this because it's what you're offering me isn't worth that. And huh. so I ended up doing an interview with um, uh, Tom. Spurgeon from the comics reporter as well as a few other places but the the one there with with Tom Spurgeon R.I.P. was one where I sort of talked about my experience there and why I left and all of that and when I did that interview and before I did it I had talked to a few other colleagues like uh, Heidi McDonald over at you know Comics Beat and such about it it's like hey I'm thinking about doing this I don't know should I like I feel like I'm just going to be burning bridges and all of that sort of thing. And this is maybe a mistake. But I talked with her about it and she actually advised me, you know, hey, yeah, you probably are going to burn some bridges there. Be careful. And a few others said something similar. But then I sort of looked at it and said, well, I don't necessarily need to stay in writing about this stuff because I can still enjoy comics without writing about them and being in that side of things. So I'm going to do the interview. I can always go back to general news later. And. It burned some bridges at first, but I also heard from a massive amount of people who were like, wow, thank you for saying that. I wasn't allowed to say it because of my NDA and I couldn't do anything. And I felt really good about it. Like, I was like, okay, well, I just torched my career writing about comics. I'm pretty much done with that now. I sort of accepted that. And then like two or three weeks later, I got a call from another place, Comic Mix, and then a few weeks, and then not too long after that, I got a call from MTV News. Mm. It was like, hey, would you want to come on and be an editor for our site that's, you know, writing about comic books and comic book movies? Would you come on and
2: do that? So you didn't have a non-compete either?
0: No, no, none wow. of that stuff. Well, I didn't sign any of the non-disclosure things that they had there. So I didn't sign any of the severance. I didn't take the severance pay. Well, um, and
1: so, Rick, what was your most inflammatory statement, do you think, in this interview? Like, what were you blowing the roof off of? I mean, what did people say? Like, oh, is that what they do there? Like, I, I just can't imagine there was a – how down and dirty did this get? You know, it it didn't get that bad. I think it was just for a lot of people,
0: it was confirming for those who didn't know and hadn't worked at Wizard, but had some idea, had some awareness of it. I think it was confirming a lot of what they thought was the case, but people couldn't actually talk about publicly just about the environment there. Because as I mentioned earlier, Wizard was just a meat grinder for young, geeky, wannabe comics people. So they maybe took a little bit of advantage there. Yeah, they would bring people in and like house them in these sort of like, it was just a glorified Trailer park where, like, a lot of the new writers and interns would live, and they would pay them pennies and they would just write and write. And basically, you either just stopped being able to afford writing for Wizard anymore, or being employed by them, or you got another job elsewhere. And there really wasn't an in between because I feel like they took advantage of that whole, oh, you have exposure, you're going to be writing about comics, you're going to talk to all these cool people, and they worked them to the bone. And I remember right before I left Wizard, maybe a couple months earlier, I ended up negotiating a very large raise and that was unheard of at the
2: time because no one got raises at wizard. That sounds about right. My background's in film and I worked for an independent film company that was very, very well known for a very long time and had a historic crash. But when I worked there, same thing, bringing all young kids right out of college, work them to the bone. And I worked in post-production and my supervisor had left, and they offered me his job at five thousand dollars less than he was making and At the time it was like two thousand eight, and they're like, "Okay, so he was making thirty five thousand we're gonna give you thirty thousand I'm like, "What?" No, like, goodbye. And I left. I was like, I'll go somewhere else and make more money. It's
0: That's it's, essentially what I end up doing. Like, I was like, hey, here's the thing. I'm up for my evaluation. You're probably going to offer me this much. But if I leave right now, I'm doing six people's jobs. Like, these are six full-time jobs right now doing all of these things. Here are the starting, the basic lowest level salary you get if you hire all of these people to replace me. This is all I'm asking, and so they gave me the raise. It was it was a hard negotiating technique, I guess, but they gave me the raise. But at that point, I knew I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to be done here soon because this isn't going. to, They're not going to keep paying me this this amount of money. Um. So yeah, And so the writing was on the wall at that point, and so I did my interview, and thankfully it didn't end my career. And I was very fortunate to have a lot of people who had read my writing and reached out to me about continuing to do exactly that sort of thing and manage more websites after that.
1: And when you watched just the decline of, of Wizard as a publication, as an online presence, as all of those things, did you stay connected to it at all or was it really just kind of like, oh, well, you know, that was a thing and I, I don't see much future in it for me and I've been behind the curtain, so now it's kind of not as magical or did you still have the kind of the warm fuzzies about it on a nostalgic sense?
0: I definitely kept tabs on what was going on there, mainly because because there were still a lot of people who I had hired who were still there and who had come up with me as their editor who were still working there. And I did keep tabs on things there, sort of through them and, and you know, just keep an eye on the website because I wanted to make sure that they were taken care of as well. And we kept in touch and I, I sort of helped some of them get gigs after that point. But for the most part, I sort of backed off of Wizard for a while after that, because again, I saw how the sausage was made, you know, and it was, it was not, the greatest of memories there you know just pulling back that curtain sometimes makes it so that you just can't appreciate you know that wonder that you have sometimes when you're looking through when you were you're younger and before you knew about all this stuff picking up an issue of wizard magazine or going online seeing this cool interview with a with a great creator or something like that so i backed off of that a bit and now it's kind of nice in the years that followed then i got slowly eased back into doing that sort of thing and it's been nice to take that break from from wizard
2: sounds like a a don't meet your heroes kind of scenario yeah, you know, in some ways, but like I
0: said, some the folks who, who worked there at the time, the writers and the editors there, were some of the most creative and talented people I've, I've been around who were in the editorial side, and I'm still friends with a lot of those guys, and they still remain some of the most creative and talented people that I know. So it was really great to interact with them and go through that sort of experience with them, because again, I feel like we just went through this really tough, really stressful, really crazy sort of churn of editorial and, and dealing with these superheroes and all of this sort of stuff, and then And now we've all kind of settled into our careers. That were informed by all those experiences we had earlier together.
1: Yeah. Now we have uh, some closing questions, just to have a little fun here. You talked about earlier, you know, you got to keep some of the comics that were coming in. Your collection's growing, but when you look back at, you know, some of maybe the swag that you ended up, some sort of collectible. Is there a specific item, like, wow, I can't believe I walked away with this? Something that is just a nice memento of your time there. I
0: definitely remember. (laughs) It was funny. I, you know, that day when you sort of are leaving your job or being escorted it out of your job when they've decided to replace you, where they <laughs> hand you the box to put your stuff in or things like that. At that point, I had read the writing on the wall and knew that, you know, my time at Wizard would be ending at some point soon. It was came as absolutely no surprise. They started bringing in some younger people and having them sort of shadow me to sort of learn the things that I do. And once they started doing that, I'm like, okay, I see where this is headed. So when that happened, <laughs> I remember I got my box. And by that point, I had already removed most of my stuff from the desk. So I, at some point, just started taking things off of the, like, ledges all around our, the, the <laughs> office and just putting them in the, yep, this is mine, yep. This is mine. I remember I got some... I think I got a, a, a Balrog, this massive Balrog from Lord of the Rings, but it was from whatever the uh, uh, Heroclix equivalent was to Lord of the Rings, and it was this massive figure that you would put on like a Heroclix board, like a miniature figure, but it, was, it would lord over everything. And I just remember throwing that in the box. I'm like, I like Balrog. I'm a big token fan. I take that too. And I <laughs> and just... All these, like, your sort of action figures that we had accumulated. Yeah, there was there was a whole lot of stuff like that that I, I just sort of flopped into the, the box because the people who were walking me out were friendly with me. They're like, yeah, man, take whatever. This is a raw deal you're getting. So, hey, just pop stuff into the box. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and our final question that we're just asking to everybody, because the name has not come up yet as we have had our discussion, but Garib Sheamus, cool or fool? Um... Not really there. Like that was <laughs>
0: you know, it's funny because he's he's held up as being this figurehead of, for all of Wizard, but he was never actually in the office that I remember. I met with him a, maybe a few times over the years just when I would be brought in to be the website representative in a meeting. But I would just stay kind of silent and he was there. He never remembered my name. He had no idea who I was. He was it's never two for really two. It's two yeah. for two on that one. Well, it was really funny because a funny story years later, I was, when I was an editor for MTV News. He came in because Wizard was looking to do a partnership with MTV on one of their upcoming conventions. They want like have MTV be like the media sort of partner and covering all of this stuff, having this big sponsorship relationship and things like that. And I remember the MTV people that I worked with, like, hey, Rick, come along to this because you know you're a big part of this. And also you I think you know these Wizard folks, right? You you're familiar with them. I was like, Yeah, yeah, no, this would be great. And so I went to the meeting and I remember when Garab walked in the door, he had zero idea who I was. And <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, hi, Rick Marshall. And then I remember the the person who was with him leaning over and mentioning, and I could tell that he was mentioning, yeah, that's Rick. He used to work with us. He used to work for us. And there was that, oh, now I have to act like I know him sort of like moment where you could see it kind of <laughs> going across Garab's face. Oh, and yeah, it was it was a bit of an awkward scenario. Like he, he was never really present. His brother, Stephen, was in all the time. Stephen Seamus was much more hands-on and, and sort of involved with wizard day-to-day. But Garab for the most part, was just just the figure he didn't even write his own letters from the editor columns like somebody wrote those for him
1: It's revealed, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. And I think that that is kind of the case, too. You know, you look at him, he's kind of like the Stan Lee of Wizard, yet Stan Lee really did stay very involved with Marvel, it felt like. You know, maybe not editorially after, you know, the early 70s, but, I mean, he was always involved on some level. And it sounds like Garib was like, yeah, this is my company that I started, but I have a lot of other interests, and I'm doing a lot of other conventions and multimedia stuff, and that's kind of where my head's at, I guess. Yeah, one of
0: the con- I remember he invited some of us to go to that MMA league, one of the matches for that MMA league they had helped create. And I remember, like, I talked with him in the van over there, and that was the longest conversation I had had with him the entire time I worked there. And then we got to the place, and then he went up into whatever VIP box you have, and we went to our seats, and then I never saw him again. And I was like, oh, that's the longest conversation I've ever had with Garib up to that point. <laughs>
1: And aside from not knowing your name, then, overall, just, you know, a guy? Yeah, he was Yeah, he was a guy. Like, I,
0: I wish I had more, either, you know, more interesting things to say about him. But for the most part, he was sort of the figurehead. But like you said, he wasn't nearly as involved as, like, a Stan Lee or some of the other folks that have been held up as the
2: icons of a certain
0: brand might be. Um, like I used he, to work for Apple,
2: yeah. and, and, like, uh, I was there for many, many years while Steve Jobs was around. And, and I live in Long Island, but I opened the Fifth Avenue store in, oh, in wow. New York City. And he was there, and I was in a fair distance away from him, but it was like seeing Beatles walk in when you saw Steve Jobs walk in. It was crazy.
0: Yeah, you know, like I said, Garib, I mean, I don't think I ever saw Garib in the editorial office. (laughs) <laughs> um, once the whole time that I worked there. I Usually was up in the boardroom is where I would interact with him, if at all. So yeah, I don't remember him ever really being involved in the, the editorial side of the site the whole time I was there. That was more Pat McCallum and Brian Cunningham. And those are the people who are shaping Wizard Magazine.
1: That's wonderful. Well, Rick, this has been honestly so much fun to get your insight, your stories, and your perspective. Because yeah, what a wild ride there. Uh, online surfing the web with Wizard. And so I'm curious for you then, what are your current projects? Is there anything you'd like to... To point our listeners to. Oh, well, I'm still a freelance writer, still a journalist
0: sort of, you know, in that online space. Most of my work right now I as as a uh, contributing editor for Digital Trends. I believe it is the largest uh, independent uh, consumer technology media site in in the world. I cover entertainment for them, doing a lot of, you know, interviews with especially visual effects people and things like that for movies and TV projects. I do a lot of entertainment on the movie and TV side coverage now freelance here and there and writing for a bunch of different outlets over time so just keeping busy you know
1: and where can people find you on your social media if they want to stay in touch or see uh, your latest work well,
0: on Twitter, I am
1: at Rick Marshall. I, I got on early enough where I got my own name. It's it's quite,
0: a, uh, it's quite quite an honor. But yes, I am at Rick Marshall on Twitter, and that's the main place to find me.
1: Okay, well, great. Well, thank you again for joining us and being a part of this exciting series for all of us and for our listeners, I'm sure.
0: This has been fascinating to watch you guys go through Wizard because it really has been like a trip down memory lane, you know, both before and after I was personally
2: involved with Wizard. I, I'm really enjoying it. Well, thanks. We're, we're glad you're listening to us. That's amazing.
1: And we sincerely want to thank you, the listener, for joining us for this second installment of The Wizard Files, and believe us, we have many more interviews to come. In the meantime, this Wednesday, we are bringing you a mini-episode where we will cover everything we didn't get to in issue 17, as well as the 2099 hotline reviewing the first 10 issues of Punisher 2099. Of course, the following Wizards Wednesday, we will have a new episode for you, but we are preempting issue 18 to bring you the death of superman tribute special yes a special edition magazine released by wizard in 1993 in the wake of the man of steel's demise we have mickey from the retro network joining us so we can't wait to share that with you as well it was a very fun discussion so until next time we're closing the files